This is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey, everybody. Merry Christmas. This is my Christmas present to you, Wheeler. This episode. Oh, it's got to be cheap. Uh, that's what it is. It's free. Yeah, yeah. It, it is free. You know, it's funny Merry that Christmas. you say that because yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, it's funny that you say that because we're a couple of days out from Christmas as we're recording this, but of course it's being released on Christmas Eve. And you and didn't want to hang out with me. I asked if you want to get together Christmas Eve. You said no. No. I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy that day, that day, and that day. Wow, that's weird. Uh, so here we are, a couple of days out though, and you know, you mentioned Christmas gifts. I swear to you. Usually I'm the last one, you know, in the house who's, you know, bought gifts for everybody. I'm yeah. always last minute. I always set out to do better and I never do. This year, like everybody has taken my way and you look at our tree and I'm not kidding you. There's one thing under it. <laughs> so like in the Wheeler household, you know, <laughs> there will is, be no gifts given. On Christmas, I don't know. Is this huh? a struggle year? Is it just that none of us cares? Uh, is it just do you guys like each other? In none your of house us or what? We, we don't have time. I, you know, nobody has time anymore. Or maybe, you know, people have done like I've done where you've kind of bought a few things, but you're just too lazy to ah. wrap them yet. Who, who's the gift for under the tree? The dog? Or what? Uh, it's from one of my daughters to the other. So <laughs> it's not even from, you know, either parent. <laughs> just terrible people, <laughs> terrible people in my household. Well, my wife is uh, way ahead of me on that. I, I haven't, uh, I'll be out there probably later today doing shopping. Okay, well, good. So, Don't forget me. No, I, I know. This, or this, this is well, my this, gift, this the free one. I, I put my credit card down for the tab, <laughs> and that's why this is his gift. And, and you know what? I, I took you up on that. and You uh, got the smallest beer here. I they, did, which yeah. I did not plan on. Uh, it just happened. We're at the Manhattan Project in Dallas, uh, not too far from downtown Dallas on the south side on the west side west side i don't know my directions. evidently that's a 20 percent beer there yeah it is well i think that's why they serve it in this really small glass it's like a four um, ounce there it, it it looks like it it's, taster? this is a um what is it called a winter, winter coalition. coalition holiday coalition uh yeah hol- no winter coalition so it's just uh uh it, it, it's kind of a holiday ish it's got some spices in there they say that cinnamon is the one that comes through the most i you know, people always tell me stuff like that and i can never taste the thing that they say comes through the most it's a good beer, though. It's not sweet. It? It's got kind of a little bit of a sour aftertaste. It's, it's good. It's good. That's why you I'm haven't had any. It. It's like warm I, now. It's I, been I, here I for like an hour. I like to sip it. Yeah. I like to sip. You're sipping, all right. You're swigging today. What are you having? This is the Necessary Evil. Manhattan Project is one of my favorite places. This is in it West is, Dallas. It's a good place. Right next to the main post office, Sylvan and I-30, just across the Calatrava Bridges. And it's, it's a fun place. It's, it's kind of in the warehouse district over here. Yeah. But it's really like a, a cool little find if you can find it. And it's kind of a coffee shop as well. It opens at 7 a.m. How many breweries, you know, <laughs> open at 7? No, we got here at 7.30, of course, but it was open a half hour ago before we even got here. And you can have beer or coffee at 7 in the morning. And people show up and actually do that. So our Christmas gift to you this year is going to be a rewind, a look back at, at some of the uh, best episodes we've done this year. Not, you know, as far as we're concerned, yeah. best episodes. These are what you guys voted for, the downloaded episodes, the best downloaded episodes yeah. we're picking out this year to highlight, and that's what we're doing this week. And, and so we're going to do two of these, and yep. th- what stood out to me, the funny thing, is that in neither of those episodes are we both in the episode. One of us was off or doing something else for each of these, which you know is a takeaway for us that people do not like us together. The, yeah, I mean, what are, you guys, what are you guys trying to tell us? You don't like us together here? <laughs> Just tell us. Let's tell uh, they us. have we'll, told we'll, us. We'll, we'll, we'll make it the work. The people have spoken. So the, the first episode here is one we did back in August at the Stonely P. It's mm-hmm. a uh, it's a cool little 
bar. It's a former pharmacy. That's yeah. what the P stands for in Stonely P. But it's an having to get Dallas. out by the end of this year. And they have to leave, I think, by the end of the year, by the first of next year, 2024, is when they have to leave. But we had there a, a guy that is no stranger to Texas politics, a guy named John Bryant. He's yeah. a former state legislator back in the 70s in the Texas House. He went on to Congress. And then he retired. He took time off. He saw what was going on in Texas politics, what, four, five, six years ago, and told his wife, I'm getting off the sofa, I'm going back to Austin, I'm gonna run for, a, run for my old seat, and we're gonna do this again. And that's mm -hmm. what he did, and he is not afraid yeah. to tell his party, the Democratic Party, what they are doing wrong yeah, now. Yeah, he's unsparing in this, and basically what he's saying is, you're, you know, you're trying to play too nice. You're going in there, sure, you're outnumbered in Austin, and you have been for decades when you know, Republicans have had you know, unified, overwhelming control of state government here. And so he says Democrats have been sort of beaten down into this, this notion that, well, if we just show up and we're really nice and we're friendly and we don't fight too much with them, they'll let us pass some things too. And he says the things that Democrats have been able to get through as far as bills go over, over all of these years mm -hmm. have been just nothing really compared to what they have given up by not really putting up the fight and really drawing a distinction between their vision for Texas and Republican vision for Texas. And, and they say that voters, he says that voters are not getting that message. They're not seeing that distinction because Democrats aren't fighting. And he says they're not fighting. And that's why Republicans are winning his argument there too. He, John is, is 76, Representative Bryan is 76 years old. Uh, when I remember we were at this uh, at the Stonely P and Laura Garrison, the, the owner walks up to us and says, what would you guys like to drink right before we, we started hitting record on there? And before I could say anything and look at the menu, he ordered an IPA out of the gate, 76. I'm like, this will be a good podcast. <laughs> not only is Wheeler not here, yeah, well, but our guest is ordering an IPA out of the gate like this. So it was so already good and it was only getting better. It was only getting better and then you guys voted for it, you know, downloading it so many times. If you haven't what, listened to it though, I think that this still has legs as we go 100%. into 2024 because, you know, Democrats are gonna try once again. You know, obviously we, we don't have as many of the big statewide races like governor, lieutenant governor, right. et cetera. A huge Senate race, huge U.S. Senate race, uh, that Democrats are hoping that they've got a chance in this time to take out uh, Senator Ted Cruz. Also, they're trying to make up some congressional ground down in the Rio Grande Valley. And so, you know, Democrats hoping once again that maybe 2024 will be their year, uh, at, at least in some ways. And, you know, they've had that thought so many times and so many times I think they've been disappointed. Yeah, I mean, come on. I, how old were you when the last Democrat well, you know what's interesting had a is statewide office what I love about this guest is, you know, he talks about how he has been around long enough to remember he knows. when Democrats used to be in control. Right. I mean, that's a long time ago. He's an old timer because he remembers when Democrats actually were in the majority in this state. And he says, if you've tasted that, then you really... Yeah. just want to spit out this taste of being in the minority for years and years and years like this. And, and he says today's Democrats try to get by with a, a, a quote, today's Democrats try to get by with a smile and a shoe shine. And I'm like, wow, I'll tell you this. I have a lot of contacts on both sides. And, and, and fortunately, folks will call me from the Republican side, the Democratic side. I heard from a lot of Democrats after we put Representative Bryan on. They were like, are you kidding me? Were they pissed? They were a little upset. Oh, he doesn't know what it's like today. He doesn't know what it's like today. I'm like, well, you know what? He knows what it's like years ago when, right. when they dominated doing what the Republicans are doing today. He knows what that was like. Um, and he's not afraid to call it out. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is whether Democrats want to hear that, whether they need to hear that, whether they are, you know, 
doing something that might put them back in the majority at some point. You know, just from my own personal life, sometimes it's the stuff that you hate to hear that you need yeah. to hear. Who's, you telling you, who's telling you stuff you hate to hear? Uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Most everybody, No, no actually. presidents under the tree? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's telling me something right there. So this is John Bryant. <laughs> He's a state rep. He represents um, part of Dallas. He's 76 years old. He ordered an IPA. This is a good episode back in August 6th of this year, of 2023. So I hope you... Um, can take a listen to this again and, 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 you know, wonder, is he right about Texas Democrats today? Take a listen. All right, let's get to our guest. It's State Representative John Bryant. And for those who don't know, John Bryant is a state representative representing downtown Dallas, uh, parts of North and East Dallas, the M Street, Swiss Avenue, uh, Casa Linda area, huge chunk of East Dallas. He's a Democrat, just elected in 2022, but, but you are a veteran of Texas politics, uh, different from everybody else in the state capitol. You served there uh, from 1974 to 1982 in the Texas House, twice named uh, one of the 10 best legislators by Texas Monthly Magazine, elected to Congress six times, serving in Congress from 83 to 97. Is it 83 to 97, is that right? That's correct, yeah. And then ran for U.S. Senate in 96. Look, let me ask you, you, you know, when, when you left in 97, left politics, what was the moment what was the one thing that happened, Representative, that you decided, hey, I need to get back in? Well, you start hearing voices after 14 years there that, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over. And maybe you, it's time to move on. And I just started feeling like it was time to move on. Uh, I, it was a good decision because redistricting made it would have made it hard for me to stay in office anyway. But I had already been in public life by that time for 24 years. And yeah. it, it just seemed like it was time to go back to private life and stay in one place and be able to go to church and go to funerals and go to weddings and sleep not, in your own bed at night. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, before we got going here, I didn't ask you, what, what kind of beer are you having? It's an IPA. I don't remember the brand of it, but it's a good one here. It, it, yeah. It, yeah, we'll find the brand of it. I'm having the yeah. um, my favorite beer. I, I have this all the time on the podcast, but it's uh, the Manhattan Project, Necessary Evil. And Daryl's handing us the list here. You have the... Uh, it's the, it's the so only IPA on there. The, the Trinity Forest the Smash on, IPA, yeah. Okay, so yeah. the one on draft, yeah. Smash IPA. <laughs> um, so let's hop back into the conversation here. What, for you to get back in and decide you wanted to run again, did you see one thing in the news? Did one thing, one political thing happen uh, for you to decide, hey, I need to get back into politics after all this time out in the sidelines? Yes, the invasion of the U.S. Capitol by this mob and the uh, increasing amount of authoritarian talk about the future and I thought well I, I'm sitting on the sidelines I could get involved again try to maybe plug the dike until we can uh, straighten things out and uh, instead of sitting here sending angry emails to my friends you know get back involved in it I was quite really sincerely concerned about where we're headed also there were a bunch of uh, decisions pending in the Supreme Court related to the power of states assertions that the states had the power over the Electoral College uh, that uh, they've never had before and had those gone against us state government would have been the place where an authoritarian movement would have begun and still could be so I think I made the right decision to run and that's really what's what, what I was worried about what was your family's reaction when you decided you want to get back into politics uh, pretty surprised. Uh, my wife was wondering, you know, what are you thinking? You've already done this. You know. But remember, the state's quite different now. When I was in the legislature before, we had 15 million people. Now we have 30 million people. We were still a, 
a largely agricultural economy and we're an industrial powerhouse now. Texas is really a nation state and the stakes are much higher. Uh, uh, the changes are still happening rapidly. It's a different place. You know, one reason I wanted to talk to you because you've been critical of Democrats today, uh, suggested that Texas Democrats are fine with getting the scraps left over uh, in, in, in the legislature. Uh, I think you even called them a bunch of sheep in an interview with Texas Monthly recently. <laughs> Were, was, are those correct quotes that I'm reading? Well, I was talking about the state Senate when I called them sheep because okay. uh, of the, the fact that they follow along with obsequiously without ever fighting back. Um, but uh, I, I have been, I am a Democrat, of course, and I'm a deeply committed Democrat, but I've, our Democrats have been in the minority in the legislature for 20 years, and the governorship has been in the hands of the Republicans for almost 30 years. So being in the minority for that length of time, I, I think they have developed a lot of bad habits, which are to try to go along to get along, try to get by with a smile and a shoe shine, hoping their personalities can keep them below the radar screen and maybe pass a bill here or pass a bill there. But the combination of all these bills that they pass that way don't amount to uh, anything as bad as the way in which we lose on the major issues, the appropriations bill in which governs how we spend the money, the tax bill, which governs how we tax people, and most importantly, public education. What should Democrats be doing, do you think? I think they should be speaking out, saying no, being willing to incur the displeasure of the Republican leadership, including the Speaker or the Lieutenant Governor in the Senate, uh, and let the public see the difference between what Democrats are arguing for and what Republicans are, are doing while they have power. And are these Democratic incumbents afraid of those leadership positions, do you think? I think uh, many of them have decided to settle for being named vice chairman of a committee or maybe some of them even get named chairman of a committee. But it, it doesn't matter if you're a chairman if you don't have a majority of uh, like-thinking people on the committee to help you pass legislation. The key is how do we spend the money, how do we tax, and how do we educate? And if we're losing those big battles, I would call that, call that, that the war. If we're losing the war, winning a battle here and there really is insignificant. But you ask about their motives, uh, I think it's not so much fear as it is a decision that, well, we're in the minority, I'll just try to get by by passing a bill here or a bill there and I won't make a big ruckus. And the result of that is permanent minority status. But a lot of these Democrats are in safe seats. Why not? That's ruffle my, some feathers. That's my question. When the Republicans gerrymandered the state in the last redistricting in 2021, they gave themselves 86 safe seats. But the, to do that, they had to leave behind 62 safe Democratic seats and two that are more difficult to win. So 62 of 64 Democrats have safe seats. There is no reason not to be out front and, and fighting hard and making plain to the public that we're on their side on these big issues, as opposed to going along to get along with the powers that be there and really accomplishing very little. What, what kind of reaction have you gotten from your fellow Democrats this go around? Uh, a positive reaction. Have you really? Most acknowledge that this is, is true. Not sure, they're not sure how to get out of it. Remember, the vast majority of the 64 Democrats have never known what it's like to be in the majority after 20 years. There's only a handful of us that know what it's like to be in the majority. 
And I think a lot of our guys have lost their muscle memory of what it means to really be in control and be, be governing the state. Uh, I don't like being in the minority. I've been in the majority before, and I'm pushing to get us back in the majority. When I think of, of Democrats that, that will get out there and brawl, today's generation of Democrats, I think of someone like Gene Wu, who's been on the program with us in the past. Right. I, it's, I, I think that it's either built in you or it's not built in you. Is there any way to, to, to train any of these incumbents of, of what they need to do based on experience you and others have? I think it, you're right that it is, uh, in, it's either innate to you or yeah. it's not. However, I think that uh, members who otherwise would have been strong advocates and being, been willing to, to take the fight to the other side, uh, but saw that they were in the minority year after year can develop a cautious way of operating and pull back from that. And I've ho I'm hoping that some of us uh, that have been willing to, be, to get out front and not focus on passing little bills, but focus on trying to win the war, uh, are setting an example and showing uh, some of the members that are newer to the process that this is really the more rewarding place to be and the more meaningful place to be. And it's all about messaging, isn't it? I mean, you, you have to let Texas voters know what you stand for and, and, and what yeah. you're doing. And it's, it's not, I think, I mean, it, it is fact, the Democratic Party in the state for the last couple of decades has had a messaging problem. Yes, the voters have to see us being active in opposing Republican policies and presenting viable alternatives. If they don't see that, they don't have any reason to get off the couch and go vote. Or in a long ballot like we have nowadays, once you vote for president or governor to keep on going down the ballot until you get to state senator and state representative. If all we do is go along to get along, well, voters are not going to be motivated. Let me ask about a few <clears throat> times uh, that Texas Democrats have pushed back. Two years ago, year and a half, two years ago, they went to D.C. to, to protest the elections bill. Uh, back in 2003, they spent a month, the state Senate Democrats spent a month in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, protesting redistricting. So they, they have fought back uh, a couple of times in, in recent memory, but those weren't successful because we all knew at the end of the day that Republicans had the, the majority and Republicans were going to get their way eventually after these stunts happened. Well, they showed enormous courage in doing that. Uh, it was only when survival was at stake that that that, that, that took place. And, and I, I have to take my hat off to every one of them. Uh, I've broken quorums before when I was in the House, but to, to leave for a month and to, and to hold out under a serious criticism in order to let the whole country see what was being done to our voting rights, I thought showed great courage. Were those successful? Yes, they were successful in letting the public see what's going on. And that was the critical part of it. Uh, they had to let the public see what's happening. Ultimately, the Republicans, who have a majority, were going to pass the bill, and they did pass the bills. But not, not without being uh, having it in the spotlight. Well, why haven't Democrats capitalized on things like that, on redistricting, on gerrymandering, on, on uh, changing the election law? on no relief for renters, which we'll talk about in a moment. Why haven't Democrats really capitalized on that? Put that into a message, taking it across the state. Well, <laughs> it, when, the re, when the gerrymandering was going on, uh, of course, Democrats are hanging around hoping they, they won't be cut out instead of fighting back on the big issue. And so 62 of them have, of us, 
I wasn't there at the time, but 62 of the seats are safe. Uh, so uh, I think, again, it always comes back to maybe if I keep my profile low, I won't get, I won't get hit by the bullets from the Republican side and get something passed. But long-term, that's self-defeating. The public has to see what we're doing. And the other thing about it long-term is it's not rewarding. You come to the end of your, of your service and look back and wonder, well, what did I really do besides serve my own interests? I'm the, probably the only member of the House who has once had his career come to an end. After 24 years, I was finished. I came home for 24 more years in private life. But I remember looking back and thinking, well, gee, I, I got to do what I wanted to do. Did I make the best of it? And the things you remember and feel good about are the things that you took a risk to do. Uh, and maybe you didn't even get credit for it, but you tried. And that's what really is rewarding, not little uh, bills that you can kind of hang on the wall like a trophy that nobody really opposed anyway. I think I've asked this once or twice in the conversation here, but are there younger members that you've talked to and said, listen, let, let's think differently about this. Let's don't think about these little bills. Yeah, I know you want to get something done because it's tough to get things done, but, but we need to think differently about how we're going to have a strategy here. Yes, uh, I've had those conversations many times. and uh, many Since you've been back? Uh, oh, yes, in this past session, yes, uh, with younger members. Uh, and some are very receptive, some are cautious, not knowing what to think. They look around and see a lot of people still doing it the old way. So uh, that's probably going to be a gradual process that I hope outlives me. So We talked about messaging for, for a moment here, too. What, what's the long-term strategy of today's Texas Democratic Party? Well, I can't speak for the state party as an entity. I can speak for what uh, I believe we should be doing in the, in the Texas House. And that is you've got to take the fight to the Republicans when you have the votes to do it. When they have to pass a constitutional amendment and need 100 votes and we have 64, we need to say to them, we're not going to pass it unless it contains our priorities also, instead of laying down and letting them pass these things uh, because you don't want to make anybody mad. And that's what's been happening, and it happened numerous times in this last session. If Democrats were to, you know, all align and, and vote in a block like that, I mean, wouldn't some of them who have leadership positions be in jeopardy? Well, they risk making the speaker mad, and if they're depending on the speaker to give them their titles, uh, yes. But remember, when you accept a chairmanship from a Republican speaker, you agree to be part of his team, and that means you give up your voice on, on the big issues and you give up a lot of your independence on the big issues. You're still free to talk about the little issues, the social issues, for example, that we disagree with the Republicans on because they love it when we fight them on those issues. They take those issues to the red meat Republican primary voters. But the key is what's happening on the appropriations bill, what's happening on the tax bill, what's happening on public education. Uh, you, you've watched in the past you know, couple decades how the gap in the presidential candidates between Republicans and Democrats, a gap has narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. And I think Joe mm -hmm. Biden got the closest uh, of, of any, I think of any Democrat since uh, maybe the 80s um, in this state. 
But one thing that has struck me the last 25 years here is that the DNC no longer really invests in Texas. The Democratic National Committee, yeah, yeah it, it, it has some money they put in here, but, but not very much. They don't, and they have, to a great extent, assumed that they can't win, and so therefore they don't invest a lot here. They come and raise a lot of money here, but then don't put a lot back in. That's a source of great dis. Uh, uh, you know, dissatisfaction on the part of the Texas Democrats, because we believe that this state is on the verge of becoming a democratic state. You think so? Yes. Remember, uh, Hispanics are now a plurality in the state. Uh, the old uh, establishment is gradually becoming, uh, losing its grip on total control of everything. And when you poll on the issues and not on the personalities, Voters are with us. They believe in a woman's right to choose when it comes to the question of abortion. It's overwhelming the, the way they see that. They believe in the best possible public school system instead of one that's 44th in the nation in the state effort for financing. They believe in mental health instead of being dead last in the nation in, in mental health. Uh, they believe in, in a tax system that is not going to give away a third of all the money that we just allocated to tax reductions to refineries and skyscrapers and instead putting more of it to uh, residential homeowners who are having a very difficult time and to, and to uh, householders that rent their houses who are having a difficult time. That's where the relief is needed. And there are millions of Texans. I think people realize how many renters there are. You and I spoke about this for an interview for Inside Texas Politics yeah. and almost half of the, of the total Households in Dallas County, I believe, almost half are yeah. renters. Fifty-seven percent in More Dallas County. Yeah, uh, statewide, almost forty percent. Uh, it, it's uh, and it, it may be a, a majority of actual individuals, mm. uh, but you know they were left out entirely. Now, one so. place that the Democrats have, have seemingly seemingly been non-existent uh, is is rural Texas. Mm -hmm. there, there just doesn't seem to be a message that resonates with rural Texans. And when, you know, election night and when we see the, what lights up blue and what lights up red, it, it looks like this is a, a solid red state, except for a handful of counties in the metro areas that light up blue. What should Texas Democrats be doing to, to talk to rural Texans and tell them that we do stand for things that you believe in? First of all, we need to get down to bread and butter issues. In rural Texas, a very high percentage of people have to drive 50 miles to the hospital. Every uh, small town used to have its own hospital. That's not the case anymore. Uh, rural Texans also face uh, a, a problem. That's your phone. Who's calling you here? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, the hotline coming through here. <laughs> I'm tempted to pick it up and say, I told you never to call me here. He's got a phone call coming through. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try them again. Let me turn this off. All right. We, we were talking uh, about uh, yeah, rural Texas there. Hospitals, how hospitals yeah. have been closing in rural Texas for several years now. Yeah. Uh, and there, the life there has become more and more difficult because of things like that. Most of the town, many of the towns no longer have a grocery store. Everybody goes to Walmart for groceries. Um, the, um, the, the, the income of people in West Texas, if you're not a, if you don't work for the school district, you don't work for the hospital, if there is a hospital, uh, and you don't have a, a farm or ranch with an oil well on it, you're working down at General Dollar for 11 and a half dollars an hour so the average income is way down uh, we need to be making clear to, to to rural texans those issues are important to us 
we we put in our proposals every time funds to change those things. The other thing is public education. You know, the Republicans are proposing vouchers, which would take a big chunk out of the public schools uh, and give it to people that want to go to private schools. Well, they're not private schools in the, in the rural areas, number one. Number two, even if there was the amount of money they're talking about, it's only a third of the cost. Uh, vouchers would totally change the way of life in rural Texas. There'd be no more Friday night football, for example, because you'd have half the student body gone somewhere else. So uh, these proposals ignore the reality of, of, of life in rural Texas. I grew up in a small town. I know exactly what it's like. And I think we have to incur, uh, be bold in rural Texas and say, look, don't get hung up on these social issues. You know, women in rural areas are just like women in urban areas. They believe in a woman's right to make a decision with regard to terminating a pregnancy, not Greg Abbott making that decision for them. And uh, this talk about transgender kids, we're talking about a tiny percentage of people that have a very unusual condition and ought to be able to go to the doctor of their choice and not have what they do governed by a bunch of Republican politicians. But, but why, aren't, why aren't Texas Democrats, I mean, it's, this seems easy to do. If, if I'm a Democrat, why aren't Texas Democrats even making the attempt to do this? It takes money. Uh, you have to, if, if you're hanging on by your fingernails, you've got to put your resources where your best opportunities are. So we focus on the incumbents that we have. You help some challengers along the way. And once in a while, you have somebody coming along like Beto O'Rourke who can raise a lot of money because of his national profile and, and run a campaign. But... You know, two years ago, we fell way short, I think, partly because we are not making clear to the public that we're opposed to illegal immigration. Uh, all of this talk about immigration that we hear out of the governor uh, is really a showpiece. He spent four and a half billion dollars on that that could have been spent on public education. We're just as opposed to illegal immigration as he is, but we're not interested in being cruel to people. And these cruel measures that he takes to make it look like he's the only one fighting against the illegal immigration uh, are, are, need to be called out. And we do call it out. But I think we've not made, a, uh, made it clear to people that we also don't want illegal, illegal immigration either. Likewise, crime. We're in favor of more police. We're in favor of fighting crime. We vote, we vote for the same crime bills the Republicans do but we don't usually run ads about it, and the Republicans do. So I think we've got to, we've got to strengthen our message on that. It goes back to messaging because people might think that, oh, well, Greg Abbott stands for a strong border, not knowing that, that Democrats do as well. And, and, and right. So I think that the messaging is the one thing that I, I don't understand why Democrats haven't been able to get a handle on after 20-plus years in the state and, you know, 40 years uh, well, nationally. Well, stop and think about it. Who would our spokesman be? Right now, the only one. That's my next question for you, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, right now, the only one is uh, the state party chairman, and people expect the party chairman to be critical of the other party, so that doesn't always carry much weight. We, no one in the legislature ever criticizes the governor. Only a handful of us are willing to do that, or the lieutenant governor. They're afraid their little bill will be vetoed, so they stay quiet all the time. Uh, they don't want to be accused of being partisan. Well, you just have to put up with those accusations. You've got to say something. Uh, you know, he's squandering money that could have been spent on public education, uh, on putting 
buoys on a quarter mile stretch in a thousand mile river. I mean, this is uh, absurd to be doing that instead of recognizing that uh, we're 44th, as I said a moment ago, in the nation in the state effort in public education. And we just passed an appropriations bill that he signed that didn't increase public education $1. For 10 years, the independent school districts in Texas have not had an increase in funding, and they didn't get another an increase this year either. Teachers deserve a pay raise. They're leaving, and 12% of them left last year. Uh, Dallas Independent School District had a thousand teachers shortfall not long ago. They're desperately trying to fill with the school year on top of us. Uh, that's where we need to be spending our time and our money, uh, not on these show business things that Abbott's doing in order to be named vice president or, or maybe run for president. In, in 24, who knows when? We've, yeah. heard, we've heard that rumor forever too. Let, let me ask you the last thing, kind of you know, wide ranging here about the party. Uh, and, and the first is, it's kind of a long question, so go ahead and have some IPA there. Uh, the first is, why haven't we seen other higher profile folks like Beto O'Rourke step up? And then when I think of the last Democratic governor, who, who you know, you likely knew well, Ann Richards, she, she was a character that embodied this state. She would go out and, and go dove hunting, you know, wear the orange vest, uh, hold a rifle and actually go, go do it here. We just don't seem to have those people uh, on, on the Democratic side that would resonate with folks out west, that would resonate with folks, you know, down south, folks in the east, up north, and, and all over the place. We seem to have more, I would say, more progressive, more urban type folks. I think we have plenty of people that would resonate with them all over the state. Uh, I was, for example, was born in a small town. That's quite common just because you came off to Dallas to go to college and you're here. It doesn't mean you, you don't understand your, your family that lives in, still lives in small towns. Uh, the, the problem is the dynamics. Ann Richards had been a statewide officeholder when she ran for governor. And she was already well known, and people followed her. And she had a great personality and an enormous amount of talent. That helps a lot. Y yeah. Uh, now, who would who would the press take an interest in? I mean, our highest officials are state senators. Uh, which of them could could really draw a crowd to a press conference if they went out to Abilene or Odessa, or, or Big Spring, or one of the towns out in West Texas? Uh, you've got to have a You've got to have some uh, some reason for the press to, to show up because the press wants to write about things the public is interested in. A better work, I think, did a good job of that, uh, but you know he, he didn't he just didn't have enough oomph to get there in 2022. And it was uphill in 2022 because it was more of a referendum on on President Biden right. uh, at the time too, so it was tough for any Democrat. Good point. Yes. Um, let me shift off to a few pieces of, of uh, legislation that, that you were uh, really working uh, hard on. You proposed a $100,000 homestead uh, up to, uh, a homestead exemption rather for property taxes, up to 25% of the uh, property value, not to exceed $200,000. Um, and right. you also proposed that rent relief, which we discussed a moment ago, 10% rebate of the rent. Texas Democrats weren't even part of the conversation until really this kind of came up at the very end. I introduced a bill along with uh, Ana Maria Ramos uh, and Vicki Goodwin and Christina Morales <clears throat> uh, to provide a Democratic alternative to the Republican bill, which addressed three major things. First, 
you can't begin to alter the way in which we finance public education without first taking care of public education. So it committed $15 billion uh, to the public schools, which only covered inflation over the last 10 years and gave a $4,300 a year teacher pay raise. So first things first, it took care of that. Second, it doubled the amount of homeowner tax relief that the Republicans were offering instead of just a mere $100,000 uh, exemption, which is going to disappear with the rising uh, prices of homes. It was a, we proposed a $100,000 minimum up to 25% of the total appraised value of your home with a cap of $200,000, almost twice as much. Remember, the Republican uh, tax relief for homeowners is on, averages $680 a year. It's about $56 a month in a house payment. Uh, it's hardly going to be felt. Uh, our home, homeowners, they don't need hundreds of dollars in tax relief. They need thousands of dollars in tax relief. And that's what we proposed. Third, we said, look, almost 40% of the state's households are rental households, and they deserve to share in this tax relief as well because they pay sales taxes which have contributed to the surplus like everybody else. So we covered all three of those things. Uh, and that was the Democratic proposal. Uh, why was it late? Why was it toward the end? Well, th there are Democratic members of the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, I'm not one of them. And so waiting to see if something was going to happen and seeing that it didn't, we came forward with a, with a well-thought-out proposal. And, and Representative, <clears throat> Again, that goes to messaging, I think, because most people think, oh, well, Republicans are the ones for low taxes. Your bill said, I'll, I'll, I'll see your low taxes and I'll do you one better. The Republicans plan almost a third of what they claimed uh, as the total of their tax relief went to refineries, uh, skyscrapers, uh, oil wells, the commercial operations. The, the crisis was homeowners and rental households, not these big, giant, mostly out-of-state owned uh, commercial entities, and yet they, they gave $3.8 billion in tax relief to those guys. We took that money and we gave it to homeowners, rental households, uh, because that's where the need was. Let's talk about school vouchers a tad more here. 20 or so rural Republicans have joined with Democrats to oppose school vouchers. Uh, they are the ones, as you know, really kind of keeping this from happening because they're that, that swing vote. Right. Do you expect that this is going to eventually pass in a special session? I, I don't know of any Republicans that have changed their mind on this. Governor Abbott's really insistent on trying to get something passed. Well, if all of the rural Republicans stick with us, uh, we can stop vouchers. Uh, vouchers would be devastating for their communities, uh, and I hope they'll stay with us. But in a special session where you've got the lieutenant governor, the governor, and the speaker all working on them, who knows? I, I just pray that they will stay with us. Do you all stay in touch with Republican colleagues who yes. oppose it? Yes, yes. Uh -huh. And there's, they've shown a lot of courage, those those 20 have, to, to, st to stay with us on that. We passed a ban on vouchers in the appropriations bill, and then it was dropped out in conference committee. Uh, but, uh, again, we have 5.5 million school st students. We have more school students than most states have people. Okay? You can't educate 5.5 million kids in a handful of private schools around the state. There's just not enough classrooms. It's ideological extremism. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. We need to do a good job in, in educating our kids, and we can't do it if we're draining off money on these voucher schemes. 
You've been around Austin for a minute. You spent time in D.C. as we discussed earlier, too. You see what's happening with Ken Pax and the impeachment trial coming up in about a month. Yeah. What do you expect to happen there? Because these aren't regular jurors. These are elected officials who answer to, to voters and to donors. Do you, do you yeah. think Ken Paxton will be convicted by the Republican-led Senate? I don't think anybody would be wise in predicting that. I, I don't know. I, uh, I know that uh, Republican voters, primary voters, a high percentage of them, support Paxton in spite of all the bad things that he has done. Uh, and I'm sure Republican senators are aware of that and are going to be have a hard time casting a vote to convict him. So I wouldn't count on him being convicted at all. I'd point out to you again as an example of what I view as the Republican way of operating in our state, a major political action committee that supports Paxton just gave the lieutenant governor $3 million dollars. And he didn't see anything wrong with taking it, even though he's presiding over the trial. So that's the environment we're in right now. That's the Defend Liberty group. I think they've given him money in the past, and, and I don't know, but I would presume other state senators as well uh, on the Republican yes. side. Um, Correct. If you were to sum up the party, let's, I'll, I'll kind of wrap things up here with a couple last questions. If you were to sum up Texas Democrats today, how would you, how would you complete the sentence? Texas Democrats today are blank. On the verge of becoming a governing party again, if they will stand up and let the public see what they really stand for and that they're willing to fight for the public interest. One more sentence for you to fill in. Okay. Based on my experience, Texas Democrats today need to do blank. They need to be seen fighting for the public interest in the House and the Senate and not uh, attempt to get by by going along to get along. One thing I, I, I noticed, you're, you're 76, is that right? Right. What's different about you as well, in addition to your confidence and your experience there on the floor, is you don't have to worry about offending anybody. You don't have to worry <laughs> about a, a private law office or job or this, that, or the other that you might not get clients for based on what you do in Austin. That's, that, that makes you different. That's true, but most members don't realize I'm no different than they are in that regard. They don't have to worry about it either. They just think they do. And I'm hoping to convince them that they don't. So. Did, did I read that you're, a, you're studying at the Perkins School of Theology? Yes, I am. I've been a part-time student there since 2018. So for, uh, for a minute here, you're, you're a long-term student, it sounds like. You, yeah. And I think I read that you're taking a prayer and spirituality course, pursuing a discipline and spiritual discipline. Um, does that help you compartmentalize politics at all? How, how does that help you politically in your political life well, with all the stress? It, it, it helps you... Uh, love your adversaries and be able to put up with it when they get mad and call you names, which doesn't happen that often, but this You don't seem bothered politics, by that though. So, well, if, if you take the big, if you have the big uh, picture in mind and you can put up with it. Uh, so it's a lot easier to do it when you're older than it is when you're younger and you're all full of, you know, hormones and you want to fight everybody. But uh, uh, everybody can, can be that way, you know, if they'll work on it. The last thing, you know, for, for, 20, 25 years or so, I've always heard that Texas Democrats are just one or two elections away from, from winning back either a statewide seat or winning back majority in the legislature. What's realistic? Well, I think that that was true when it was said, and it's still true, uh, but we have a huge burden, and that is that Texas now is filled with these billionaires who like being on top, and they for them to give a million dollars to a candidate is not any kind of a sacrifice, and they do it. And they have their own think tanks, and they keep scorecards and frighten Republicans into 
always voting uh, 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 with the most right-wing positions. Don't like people like Tim Dunn, West Texas, folks like that. I yeah, I've read about all those guys, and we never had that before. I mean, we never had people that could give give the governor a million dollars in a campaign or give the lieutenant governor the other day $3 million. Um, that's a hard thing to overcome, and when they miseducate the public saying, uh, bad things about our candidates. It's hard to overcome that if you don't, if you're not well financed as well. Uh, so we have to overcome that. But mostly, we got six months of a legislative session, five months, but typically there are special sessions as well, for the public to see us fighting for the public interest. And if they see us doing that, that'll be a lasting memory. Uh, we can't get there by going along to get along. We will be watching to see what happens. It's fascinating yeah. to talk to you, especially someone with your experience, too. So, Thank uh, you. Cheers to Thanks your representative. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming out. Appreciate you being on Yolitics. Thank you. My pleasure.